0: We're so glad to have each of you with us today, and again, if you are our guests, we're thrilled to have you. We trust that uh, if there's any questions or any uh, thing that we can help you with, you let us know. But again, today we're going to begin uh, basically a new series. It's uh, Reaching Forth, and again, of course, our, our main theme for the year, our our yearly theme is Reaching Forth, and we have a lot to reach forth about, a lot of things that we want to obtain, and a lot of things we want to uh, grab hold of through the year, and of course, uh, we've got a lot of big things ahead at Community Baptist Temple, and we're excited about those, and uh, we certainly, uh, I mean, not to, uh, the least to mention our, the Carousel Dinner Theater and all of that business, and... But uh, more important, I think, even than that is to, as we seek to structure for growth here at Community, as we prepare and ready ourselves for the uh, flux of people that we're going to see in our ranks here in the near future, as we go out and continue to reach people with the gospel, as we seek to train people up in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as we prepare and ready ourselves, uh, the truth is, is if you want about 10 babies in your nursery, you better have at least 10 beds. You know, God's often, uh, he's like this. He kind of says, okay, well, you're praying for 10, but if you prepared for 10? Well, what we're praying for, we need to prepare for. And so we want God to do some great things. That means we've got to get on the ball and get a lot of things accomplished. We need to reach forth this year. And we're excited about the opportunity and the prospect of doing so. I want you to take your Bible, turn over to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 8. We're going to read through verse 14. And then I'm going to kick off this series today with an introductory message. I trust will be a help to you and an encouragement. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8 today. That's in the New Testament. If you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Philippians. Find it right there. (laughs) All right, maybe it's not quite that easy, but it's in there somewhere. It's one of those little ones, but uh, you'll find it soon enough. I remember years ago, I used my, uh, what do you call that in the very beginning, the uh, index or the content or whatever it was, I, I'd go in the beginning of the book and look it up all the time. Uh, I, there's no shame in that until you get to figuring it out. Then you can memorize where some of those books are and you get a little bit better at it, but uh, like I say, at first, you know, sometimes you need a little help, and that's why they put it in there. They put it in there for me, I guess. Yeah. All right, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 <clears throat> We begin reading, the Bible says, well, let's start in verse 7. He says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I might win that I may win Christ. Be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. "...that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind Reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, according to our passage here, Paul has counted all things lost in order to have the Lord, basically. I mean, earlier in the chapter, in verses 4 through 6, he lists his credentials. You'll notice there in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 3... He says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. We see there on one hand his credentials. And he lists them. At one point in Paul's life, He looks back over his life and he says, I have some things to my credit. If he was going to put a ledger together, he would have on one side of the ledger the credit, his background, his character, and his religion. Those would be the the, the basis of his credits. He'd say, Now that on one side is the credit. I Paul, or at that point his name was Saul, he'd say, I, I, "I have a tremendous background, according to verses four through six, tremendous character, and a tremendous religious uh, zeal." Those were his credits at that point in his life. If you looked at Paul at that day and you said, "Now, what's your debit, Paul? What is it that you count law uh, that you count to be on the negative side of the ledger?" He'd say, "Well, I count Christ as the debit." You say, "What do you mean?" What I guess I'm saying is this, Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Paul didn't want anything to do with Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul hated believers, and he sought them out, hunted them down, and he would take them, and he'd place them in prison, and even at times, he'd go ahead and condemn them to death. Paul would say, to my credit, if I had a credit side of the ledger, I would say that it was my background, my character, and my religion. On the other hand, I hated Christians. If there's one thing I couldn't stand in the debit column, if there one thing I could get rid of all of them, if I could be rid of everything about them, it would be the Christian and the Christ that they serve. I want nothing to do with that resurrected Jesus. So again, the credit and the debit. But something happened unusual that uh, uh, in his life, something took place on a road called Damascus, and there on that road the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Paul. And there he received and accepted Him as his Savior and Lord. He allowed Christ to be manifest in his life. And as a result of that, all of a sudden, what was once a credit became a debit to the Apostle Paul. Now instead of his life, his background, his character and religion being that which he says is so important, so so much of a necessity, he says to himself and he says to others, my life, my background, my character and my religion, they are a debit now. They don't belong in the credit column anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm not depending on them whatsoever to get me to heaven. I have no means by which uh, any righteousness in myself. As a matter of fact, the only thing to my credit today is Christ. Paul made a 180 degree turn. He went from one point making these his credit, saying that's what I want put to my account. That's what I want to be said at the judgment seat. But now he says, no, no, as a matter of fact, Christ is all I have now. And I'm going to tell you something. The apostle Paul uh, saw at that time ultimately was named Paul. And he goes on to write a number of books in the New Testament. God uses them in a miraculous way. And the Lord lifts him up and exalts him even in the eyes of men. And today as we read our Bible, we still read the words that Paul himself penned. But God did a work in his life, a supernatural work in his life. His life that day on the road to Damascus. Now we read the words of the Apostle Paul and we see them here in chapter 3. And he's no longer trusting in his own righteousness. He's no longer depending on his own deeds or his own performance in order to earn the favor of God. But now he is completely, totally, solely depending upon Jesus Christ alone to get him to heaven, to see him clean and pure and righteous. He counts everything, he says, but loss to be found in Christ, to know Him and the power of His resurrection, to participate in the fellowship of His sufferings, and to be conformed to His death. He goes on in our passage, we've already read it, to say, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection that he's speaking of, the Apostle Paul here in Philippians chapter 3, describes the event that you and I would most often call the rapture of the church. Of course, that's the catching away of the body of Christ at the end of this age, or the dispensation of grace, we'd call it. We've noted in the past, and we'll just very briefly recap or summarize, but the reality is is today we live in what's called the church age. And that so far has continued for about 2,000 years. Of course, it began, of course, with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church, empowering the church. And now we're in what's called the church age. 2,000 years now we've been in that church age, and who knows how much longer. It may be today will be taken out, it may be tomorrow, it could be another 100 years. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is that Jesus Christ is coming back. And so when He does return, He's going to rapture or Catch away those that are in the body of Christ, those that have put their faith and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. Now, at the end of that time period, of course, we know that the seven-year tribulation will kick off. And then, of course, we'll have Armageddon at the end of that seven years. You and I, if we're the church, are already caught up together. And in that place, the Bible says that we'll also be judged at the judgment seat of Christ and we will receive our new bodies. That's the event that Paul's speaking of. When he says that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, he's looking forward to a day in the future, in a sense, and saying, I'm looking forward to that day when when I will no longer have this old flesh hanging off of me, when I'll no longer be burdened down by the sin and the, 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 uh, the, the, the evil of this day and age in which we live, I'll no longer have to war and strive to do right because I'll no longer have the, the igniter, if you will, to the flesh. I'll be free of this flesh. I'll be living in the spirit and have a new body and I'll be able to overcome sin easily. But right now it's a constant battle. But see what Paul's getting at here is he's saying, I don't want to wait till that day. I don't want to have to wait till I'm caught out. I don't want to wait till I get the new body to live a resurrected life. He's saying, I want to attain that resurrected life today. Right where I'm at. I want to have victory over this flesh. I want to have victory over lust. I want to have victory over sin now. I don't want to be bound by my vices. I don't want to be chained by my sin. And so... He's saying, basically, that I want to live the resurrected life right now. A life void of the flesh. A life void of sin. And he's already forfeited self-righteousness. He's all, And he says, now I'm going to give up worldly pleasure in an attempt to experience that life without the flesh. See, the word, or the verb, it's actually a verb, attain means to arrive at the end of a journey. It presents the figure of a pilgrimage. And Paul's saying, I want to strive and attain to a level of spirituality that renders my flesh powerless. And he says, I count all things but loss in order to reach that place in my life where my flesh no longer rules me, but the Spirit does. So Paul's trusting in Christ here in our passage. He's denying his flesh so that he can live a life that will mirror the resurrected life. The life that one day we'll experience once we've be rid of this flesh, once we've taken on a new body, once we live, literally live in the presence of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. He says, I want that life now. I want it now. I want that victory now. And therefore I'm willing to forfeit anything that feeds the flesh I want to just hold on to only those things that enable me to reach my goal. He then makes this intriguing statement in verse 12. He says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. To apprehend means to take or seize, to take hold of, to apprehend. Paul wants to take into custody or lay hold of that purpose for which Christ apprehended him. Meaning that God's got a hold of him. God apprehended him. God r- reached out his hand and re- uh, lifted him out of the muck and the mire of this world. God saved him and he apprehended him. And he says, now I want to fulfill the role that God apprehended me for. I want to lay hold on the exact purpose that God Save me for. God saved Paul with a purpose. And He saves you and I with a purpose. He was to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That God might also reveal His Son in and through Paul's life. And of course, that's accomplished in a number of ways. And of course, one major way that Paul saw the life of Christ lived through him was through his service for, for the Lord. Paul's saying, I'm pressing on, man. I'm going forward. I'm reaching forth Because Christ first reached forth for me. It's easy as you read through the Bible to realize that Paul was not very content with what we call mediocrity, was he? He wasn't content with mediocrity, just getting by, and just, just enough to appease the crowds. No, he... It didn't matter whether it was his personal life. It didn't matter whether it was his ministry. He strove for perfection. He strove for victory. He wanted nothing to hinder him. Nothing to hold him back from apprehending that for which he was apprehended for Christ. And then we come to our verses. Verse 13 and 14. Where, where our, our theme is taken from. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended... But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This morning we're going to begin basically a two-part message. Now the message, the series will last longer, but this message that I'm sharing with you will go this week and next week. And I want to begin it today, and I want to hopefully encourage you from the Word of God. So before we move forward in our service, let's have a word of prayer and invite Christ to speak to each of us as only He can. Father, thank You again for this time together. Lord, we've kind of summed up the passage or chapter 3 of Philippians already. But Lord, as we begin to take a step into these verses, as we begin to uncover the truths that You have for us, may our hearts be open, may we allow Your Holy Spirit to stir us, Father, I know that it is your will and your desire and even design to, Father, equip the the saints of God. And, Lord, today in this room, I'm sure there's a number of saints here, those that have accepted and received Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them, that, Lord, they would open their heart, that they would allow themselves to just hear from heaven and then, Lord, respond to you in proper fashion. Lord, may you be with those that have yet to receive and accept Christ. I pray, dear God, that you would just... Help them to see a need to trust and receive you even today as Lord and Savior. Now, Lord, we need you. I need you more than anyone in this room right now. Please stand in my shoes. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. May I literally be your mouthpiece today. Holy God of heaven, I need you to pour upon us the dew of heaven today. Fill me, use me, and let me be your mouthpiece. Be with these thy servants, and Father, may you anoint every listening ear. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so, in our passage, we note that he's pressing toward the mark, he says, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Of course, every believer ought to be pressing toward that mark. He had undoubtedly been exposed to the Olympic Games. As you read through the New Testament, Paul often made analogies to sporting events. He, Throughout his writings, he He would speak about things like, speak about the Christian life as being maybe a wrestling match or a boxing match or running a race. And those events, uh, those same events exist today. As a matter of fact, in uh, the summer this year, we're going to be having some Olympics. And now he addresses his desire to finish his race. He wants to finish his race on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he wants to finish it in a way that He can win Christ to obtain the prize that God would have for him. He's talking about apprehending that for which he was apprehended. That for which he wants to lay hold on that which God had laid hold on him to get. And God laid hold on you. If you're a child of God today, I want you to know that's not by coincidence or chance. I want you to know that the God of heaven looked down from the portals of glory and he saw you and he allowed his son to go and die on your behalf. Why? Because he sought you out. He loved you that much. And he reached down and he wished you out of the muck and the mire of this world. As you exercised your faith, he extended his arms, taking you into his fold. And God apprehended you and he has a desire and a design and he has a purpose for you, just like he did the Apostle Paul. And Paul the Apostle says, I want to fulfill God's purpose for my life. I want to be Christ-like and I want to experience the resurrected life while I'm living here, right now. And When he reached the end of his race, he wanted to be able to look back without regret. And he wanted to hear the Lord himself say, well done. It seems today that many are preoccupied with other activities and Focus their attention on so many other avenues. So often we're so preoccupied that we fail to really attain or grasp or even attempt to reach those goals that God has for us. Paul says, Man, I not only do I want to attain those rewards, but I don't want to stand ashamed either. In the book of 1 John 2.28, the Bible says, And now little children, abide in Him that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Paul says, I don't want to get to heaven one day. Oh, saved, of course, on my way to heaven. But I don't want to get there and then find out that I failed in my pursuit of the purpose that God created me for. I don't want to get there and not hear well done. I don't want to get there and think that I've let my Savior down. And I certainly don't want to stand ashamed in his presence. See, I believe the Apostle Paul is a tremendous example of how we can reach our full potential for Jesus Christ. See, I believe that he did. As best a man could, I think the Apostle Paul did, see so many positive things in the Word of God concerning him. He accomplished so much on behalf of the Lord. His spirit, his attitude, his heart beat with God's. I want to consider four aspects of the Apostle's life that I believe can benefit and better equip us for the journey that we call the Christian life today. First of all, I want us to note Paul's discernment. We see that right off the bat in chapter 3, of course, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. You say, well, what's that discernment? What are you talking about? I think Paul saw himself for what he really was. You say, well, what's that? Let me spell it. S-I-N-N-E-R. Right. He says, brother, I count not myself to have appreh- apprehended. I mean, he, he exhibits a profound attitude of humility here. I mean, he looks at his life and all of his accomplishments and he says, hey, Listen. Church, those that I'm writing to. I mean, Paul, Paul could have easily stood before the crowd and said, y'all got to be just like me. I'm, I'm all big time. I'm all tough. I'm everything, man. I soul win the better than anybody. I start churches and I witness and I share and I go forward. And I'm even writing the Bible, man. You got you to gotta understand, I'm heads and shoulders above everybody else. Boy, he could have had a real attitude. But he didn't. I mean, he had tremendous discernment about his spirituality and about where he really, where his real position was in the things, in the overall scheme of things. He saw himself in relationship to God who is perfect and who is holy. And he cries out to the people as he begins this portion of scripture and he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I too have not arrived. I too have not reached the pinnacle of my life. I'm still in a pursuit and I'm still in a battle. He had the right perspective. He showed tremendous discernment. And although his goal and desire was to eradicate the flesh, to walk in the Spirit, to ultimately attain the resurrected life today, he's not so pious as to think that he'd already reached the summit. He's ever aware of his sinful flesh and understands that it represents a constant battle in which he must fight daily. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, he says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. He said there's a constant battle. In a sense, he says, it's kind of like on one shoulder you have that angel and the other you have the devil and the one's going, do it. The other's saying, don't do it. Do it, don't do it. Do it, don't do it. It's a constant battle. Christ lives in him. He's a born-again believer, He's saved, but that old flesh continues to fight with him, trying to deceive him and ultimately destroy him. Paul recognizes that battle and understands that he cannot give in to it, cannot throw up the white flag. He cannot surrender, He must continue to battle. I mean, he may have been the busiest man in the ministry at the time. I mean, when you read through that New Testament, you get the idea that this man could preach up a storm. That he was a church planting machine. That he was a writer that God had anointed and the word of God flowed from his pen. But down deep, the Apostle Paul could not escape the reality that he was just a sinner saved by grace. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, he says. He's saying there's no bigger sinner in this world than me. Although the Apostle Paul says, I, I see the goal and I want to attain it, I want to live a life. It's Christ-like. I, I want to live the resurrected life even though I'm bound in this wicked, sinful flesh. I want to overcome that flesh. I want to be victorious over vice. I must be honest, he says. I struggle with that flesh. It's a battle. May I encourage you by saying if you are warring with the flesh, you're where you belong? You know what the problem is today? It's not that the flesh gets the victory in our life that concerns God so much. I, at least I don't believe so. I think it's that we don't even try to fight it. I think too often we just surrender to those urges and those desires and those longings. And we say, oh yeah, well, I can't help it. That's just the way God made me. And uh, what am I supposed to do? When God gives me the strength to overcome that sin, I'll quit. Come on, folks. God, God understands we're human. He made us the way He did. We have the flesh. Jesus Christ was all man. He understood what temptation was. He knew what it was to have to deal with lust and have to deal with those feelings that well up in our hearts when we've been wronged. But He also knew He he had to fight the battle, the good fight. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. He says, listen, I'm on a quest. I'm on a mission. I'm on a journey. I want to reach that resurrected life now. But church, as much as I do for God, as often you can find me on my knees in prayer, as many times I read through the Bible, and as often as I do the work of God, I want you to know I have not arrived. May I say all of us are in the same boat. But the question isn't whether or not we've arrived because we know we haven't, nor will we. But are we fighting that battle? Are we struggling with sin? Are we warring with the flesh in order to eradicate this old sinful self and resurrect, in a sense, Christ himself in our attitude and our actions? We can choose to let the flesh rule us or let Christ rule. And again, sadly, we give up the battle. We just surrender and yield to the flesh. God help us. The greatness of this man and his accomplishments is only eclipsed, I believe, by his humility. He's a very humble man. The book of James, the Bible says, But he giveth more grace, wherever he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. In chapter 4, verse 10 of that same book, he says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. He goes on to say in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. Clothed with humility. Now listen, today I'm clothed today with a, a suit jacket and a suit. Now underneath here is a molten mass of steel <laughs> but you can't see that molten mass of steel because I'm clothed in this suit, and I want to tell you something. He says that we're to be as he puts it here clothed with humility. Yes, now listen, there's not one of us in the world that doesn't want to feel significant, doesn't want to have draw some attention, that doesn't want to be lifted up and elevated in the eyes of others. We are human. We are flesh. Now, you, your idea of that may not be to stand on a platform and have everyone looking at you, but you still want to be elevated. You want to feel like you have significance and that you are important to people. We all want that and we all desire that. And the truth is, it is a God-placed desire. He put it in us. But it's to be fulfilled in the proper manner. It's to seek our our, 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 our real significance and value in Christ, not in what we do or what we say or where we go. Although those things are important, they're not really what gauge our significance in the eyes of God. He looks at us and says, You are valuable because... And he stops there. He didn't say, Mark O'Donnell, you're a value to me because you preach the gospel. You're a value to me because you you read the word of God. You're valuable because you pray. You're valuable because you try to be a good dad. You're valuable because you try to be a good husband. You're valuable because you... No, he says, Mark O'Donnell, I value you because. Simply because. Because he loves me. And his love's unconditional. Hey, listen, I don't want to let him down. A love like that, someone that says, i love you, go out and commit adultery. Go out and hurt or steal. Go out and do those wicked things. I'll still love you because I don't love you for what you do for me. I love you because. And the reason why many Christians end up serving God and then burning off and falling by the wayside is because they somehow believe that their significance and their value is bound in who and what they do. Instead of what God says, because. Let me encourage you just to accept God's love. To just accept it. Quit trying to earn it. Just let God love you. And then live your life because of that love. Not in order to gain something personally. Paul says, I'm doing the best I can, fellas, Ladies. I'm trying to obtain to that resurrected life. It's a battle. It's a struggle. And I'm just a sinner at heart. But I'm trying to do the best I can to say no to this flesh every day. I want to please my Savior at all costs. I'll get rid of anything. I'll do anything to have that victory in my life. And over my flesh... So we see Paul's discernment, number two, and this is the one we'll end with. we we'll see Paul's determination. The passage, of course, began by saying, Brother, and I count not myself to have apprehended this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. We see Paul's determination. This one thing I do. Paul goes on to say, this one thing I do. I do. Wait, Paul, you're you're trying to attain to the resurrected life. You're trying to eradicate the flesh. You're trying to get victory over it. What's your secret? This one thing I do. Paul goes on basically through the passage in chapter 3 to make it clear what Those things are, in a sense, that forgetting those things which are behind. He says, I no longer depend on my own righteousness. What was a credit is now a debit. He says, nor do I relive all my sinful failures. I mean, I still remember holding those clothes as they stoned Stephen, the deacon of the church at Jerusalem. I held their clothes... I held their coats and I told them, go at it, fellas. Kill them. Kill them. I hunted down Christians. I separated moms and dads and children. I ruined homes and families. But I'm not depending any longer. I'm not, excuse me, I'm not reliving all my sinful failures. I'm not reliving all my mistakes. Neither will I prevent my successes in my Christian life to point or to, to to somehow hinder or or impede my present progress. I'm not going to let any of those things affect me now. You know, we today seem like if we're not careful, we can be very prone to living divided lives. You know, we kind of got part in the world and part for the Lord. And again, I'm glad for anyone that has any desire to please God and please the Lord. That's a blessing, and and, and I know that's a step in the right direction. Don't misunderstand me, but what the Apostle Paul's talking about here is not a divided life. It's not a straddle-the-fence life. It's not one foot in, one foot out. Paul's really saying, it's time to get all in. You know, we find ourselves very ambitious for material gain. And if when we do that, we sadly start to mind earthly things. You know, our calling is a high calling, the Bible calls it here. And it's a high calling. It's a heavenly calling. It's it's a, a very privileged calling. But too often we are quick to settle for the worldly calling. Isn't it amazing when you know, think about this for a minute. If you were the president of the United States and someone comes to you and said, Hey, what do you do with your life? What do, you, what do you do? I'm the president. And we'd all go, Well, wow. President, wow. If you're a, president, a CEO of a company and it's a really thriving company and you find great pleasure in serving there as well as great adm- admiration there from your employees and stuff, people come to you and say, So what do you do? You say, Well, I'm a CEO of such and such a business. Very proud. Why is it that we find our greatest significance in something other than Christ then? What I mean by that is, so what are you? When's the last time when you said, so what do you do? I'm a Christian. Nobody says that. Why is that, though? Because we really don't find our greatest emphasis on the Christian life. We find it in other places. We say, well, I'm, I, I, I'm a, a, a postman, or I'm a, a truck driver, or I'm a salesman, or I'm a father, or I'm a mother. And again, I'm just saying, when people identify us, and we get an opportunity to identify ourselves, how's come the Christian part always is like toward the latter part? Instead of right up front. I don't think, if you'd have said to Paul, so what are you doing with your life, Paul? I'm a Christian, and I'm trying to obtain to the prize the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to be Christ-like. What's your greatest goal in life, young man? I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a truck driver. I want to be like my dad. I want to be like Mr. So-and-so. I want to do this, and I want to do that. I want to get through college. I want... How's come it isn't... I want to be Christ-like. I I, want to please the Lord with my life. I want to fulfill the goals and the purpose that God has created me for in this world. I want to fulfill the will of God, the plan of God for my life. I'm a Christian. What else are you? Well, I'm also a husband. And I'm a father. And I'm a teacher. And I'm a real estate salesman. I'm a car salesman. You get where I'm going. I'm just trying to say... How's come we're so quick to find our um, identity in something other than Him? When He is everything to us. The heavenly calling is an eternal calling. It's a rewarding calling. It's the greatest calling in the Christian life. Some years ago when... Apple computer fell on some hard times. Apple's co-founder and chairman, Stephen Jobs, went from from California to New York City. His purpose in doing so was to convince PepsiCo's John Scully to move west and run his struggling company. As the two men overlooked Manhattan, excuse me, as the two men overlooked the Manhattan skyline from Scully's penthouse office, uh, the Pepsi executives started to decline Jobs' offer. He said, Mr. Jobs, financially, you'd have to give me a million-dollar salary, a million-dollar bonus, and a million-dollar severance. Flabbergasted, Jobs gulped and agreed if Scully, would, if Scully would just simply move to California. But Scully would commit only to being a consultant from New York. you got to understand, early on in the late 70s, the computer business wasn't what it was today. It was just starting out and Steve Jobs had a big vision, but he needed someone to help him get there. And Pepsi was a booming company. Scully was making tons of money. His family was set. As a matter of fact, Scully would later admit that one of the reasons why he would at first hesitate to take the job was because of his finances, his retirement, and even the moving of his family and having to relocate. But when, he w- when Steve Jobs was confronted with the opposition, he looked at Scully and he made this statement. He challenged him. And he said, Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water? Or do you want to change the world? Scully admitted that that challenge that was given him literally knocked the wind out of him. He said he had just gotten so caught up in his future at Pepsi that he nearly allowed changing the world to pass him by. He did end up going to Apple, and now you know the rest of the story. God has a prize for you to obtain. He has a plan for your life. Sadly, most will miss God's plan while living their lives on a quest for pleasure. You know, we'll go about this life in search of the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Only to find that in the end, there's no end of the rainbow or pot of gold. Steve Jobs asked the successful John Scully, Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want to change the world? I want to ask you today Do you want to spend the rest of your life chasing empty dreams or do you want to change the world and obtain the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? I just want to bust a move. (laughs) I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to be spinning on my head here in a minute. (laughs) Do you want to do that? I mean, do you want to spend the rest of your life chasing an empty dream? The Bible says that one day this world is just going to be burned up. Boy, heaven, eternity is forever we have an opportunity to change the world in which we live. To change our families and to change our communities. To make a difference in this sin-sick world we live. And to obtain the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's great desire was to be Christ-like. To experience the resurrected life while living here on earth. And when he reached the end of his race, he wanted to receive the prize or the reward that God intended for him. Well, that ought to be the great desire for every believer today. Everyone that names the name of Christ, that claims to know him as Savior and Lord, that ought to be our desire. That we not be preoccupied with so many other activities and in essence forfeit the blessings that God has for us in this life. You say, what can I do? Well, commit to knowing. I mean, spend time in His Word. Spend time on your knees. Make sure you're in God's house where you can be encouraged and uplifted and and empowered and prepared and ready for the work of God. Also, not only commit to Him, but commit to following Him. I mean, obey Him. Trust Him. Depend on Him. Wake up every day and say, it's you I need And it's you I'm following. And as you reveal truth from your Word, I'm going to apply it to my life and live it. Maybe this morning you're not even a Christian. Paul first and foremost understood that he was a sinner. He knew what he was outside of Christ. Without Jesus without the shed blood of the Lord, without His sacrifice being applied to His life personally. He knew He was done. It was over with. He had no hope. But in Christ, He was forgiven. In Christ, He was cleansed. And in Christ, He had a home reserved for Him in heaven. See, sin will testify against you one day. And it will ultimately condemn you to death. Eternal Death, separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. There's no escaping the consequences of sin except it be through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 simply says, For as much as ye you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In Hebrews 7.25, the Bible goes on to say, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And finally, in Revelation 3, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and suck with him and he with me. Today, have you put your faith and trust in Christ? As we close our Bibles, as we prepare to leave today for a short time of invitation. Are you ready to meet Him? If you'd close your eyes in death today, are you confident that you would open them in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is there a shred of doubt? Is there a reason in your heart why you say, I just can't say for sure? Well, if you know you're a sinner today, you've passed the first test. The only other thing is to admit it to the Lord and then allow Him to pay for your sin. And Today, He wants to do just that in your life. So if you're a Christian, let's make sure that we're not wasting our time chasing shallow dreams, fading dreams. Let's make sure it's not that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that will never, ever show up. Let's make sure it's a Christ-like life. Seeking the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrected life. Victorious life today. Victorious from sin, Satan, and the flesh. Father, thank You for this time together. We're asking You, Father, for Your leadership now. Speak to us in